I'm really glad you're listening because you're joining us on a very special season of the podcast where we're focusing on healing. Not just the miraculous stories, but the stories when healing didn't happen, the stories when God healed things we didn't know needed to be healed, stories when it seemed like things were getting worse, and yet somehow we have to believe that God is still God and God is still good. And really, this season is focusing on no matter what the situation is with healing, no matter what our understanding of healing is, how do we see God in the midst of that? If you've been following along, you know that this season came about not because of my ideas, but because of God's nudging. And these guests are coming about not because of my connections, but because God unlocked something and I'm still getting guests being locked in. In fact, today I had two back-to-back recordings, which I don't think I've ever had before. God is up to something, and I'm really excited to find out what. And today's episode is particularly special because I wanted in this season to branch out beyond physical healing, and we have some really good conversations down the pike for it. But today's conversation is one that I think will resonate with many of us, and it's talking about the healing that God does in regards to unforgiveness. Right now, you might be thinking of a relationship, a past wound, something that has led you to a point where forgiveness was something you had to navigate. Andrina shares her own personal experience, but what's really special about this episode is one thing I always tell my guests is that our conversation is not about making a podcast episode. It's about really allowing God to work through the conversation. And if at the end, the guest says, hey, thanks for talking, but please don't make this an episode, we won't. Because I really believe that In addition to what God can do through a podcast episode, there are amazing things he can do when the two of us sit and just talk and invite God to speak. And that happened in this episode. I'm hopeful that this episode will encourage many of you. But for Andrina and I, God used our time together to work through some things within ourselves. And you'll hear that in this episode. If you have had a wounding in the past, if somebody has hurt you, if you are wrestling with the concept of forgiveness or feeling the wounds from unforgiveness, I really hope that you are encouraged by this episode. You're listening to episode 65 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for these conversations that you've been bringing about. I thank you for Andrina and just connecting us. I just, yeah, I really feel like this is going to be a good conversation, not because of the content necessarily, but because of you and your presence and where I think you're going to guide things. And so to that end, I just want to invite you. Um, I, I just pray that you would guide our words and thoughts. If there's anywhere you want us to press into, um, give us the boldness. If there's anything that you want us to not press into, <laughs> give us restraint. But in all of this, I just pray that you are honored and glorified. And I just pray that we would recognize you speaking in the midst. Let's pray in his holy name. Amen. 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 So Andrina, you and I have never met before. This is the first time we're seeing each other. And we only recently connected through Podmatch. You know, when we connected, I mentioned that we we're doing this healing series. And what you mentioned feeling like you would love to, to talk about and process is the idea of healing in terms of relationships and unforgiveness. What I loved about that is this whole idea of healing. We can package that into just physical healing, but it's so much more. So I'm really excited to have a conversation about this. Before we jump into it, 
we're going to imagine that you're on an elevator. You meet somebody on the first floor. You're only going up to the second or third floor. You only have a few moments to let them know who you are. What do you say? Ding! <laughs> I'm Andrina. <laughs> Great to meet you. I love God. I love people. If you're curious about my work, I'm an entrepreneur who works with small businesses and nonprofits. But these days I'm learning that there's so much more to me than what I do, even though that's how people traditionally introduce themselves. So great to meet you. I'm from the Baltimore, D.C. area. Where are you from? I'm in Richmond. <laughs> we're, we're not that far from each other. Oh, OK. I didn't know that. <laughs> in fact, they've got uh, a new train running that that can get people from Richmond to D.C. much faster. That's that. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> Well, and I love what you shared about the reality that a lot of times people will identify others, but also identify themselves based on what they do, their job. And I love that that's part of where you're pressing into is, is your identity. And I imagine that probably plays into even the topic that we're getting into. The more we understand about ourselves and who God is and who he's made us to be, the more that shapes relationships and interactions. And, you know, the first question that comes to my mind is... When I mentioned that we were focusing on healing this season and you responded about relationships and forgiveness being the thing you wanted to talk about, what, what was in your mind and your heart? What did God pop into your head that made you think, yeah, I, I kind of want to talk about that? So there was one specific conflict and relationship in my life that I felt like robbed me of six years of living. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind because of the unforgiveness attached to that experience. And I think about six years, these were six years in my 20s, which are really kind of like your peak years. And so for a long time, even after the six years, there was a lot of regret about the unforgiveness. So you have the baggage of unforgiveness, then you have a little bit more baggage about the baggage of unforgiveness. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind. But I really love the title of your podcast, Where Did You See God? Because through the pandemic, one of the things that God was dealing with me and stretching me in is just making him real. Mm. I think for so long, I grew up as a church kid. It's always been this lofty being. Like he's always been this lofty being that you can't quite touch, you can't quite see, but you know he's there. They love giving the analogy, they being, you know, the leadership that I was under for a while of air, which is such a great analogy, right? Like you can't feel it, you can't see it, can't touch it, but you know it's there. But where did you see God makes God real to me? And so that's why I responded and that's what I was thinking about. So a couple of different thoughts. <laughs> uh, when you say unforgiveness, you know, I feel like everybody's been in situations where they've had a hard interaction with another person. But I feel like it's really easy for us to say, oh, I've forgiven them or, oh, I've gotten past that or I've let that go. I've dropped that. Or, I don't even think about that anymore. What is it that when you say unforgiveness that you're thinking about or what is it that you feel like God has revealed to you about unforgiveness and the impact that that can have? That it's a shackle. It's a chain. So in, in this particular situation, I dealt with a lot of abandonment and I dealt with a lot of struggling with the question, why me? And a little bit about me is I've been a church kid, like I said, and with that church kid experience, I'm learning comes a lot of pride. 
And so when you're dealing with the entitlement of why me, I've been so good, I've been so kind, I've been all these things to people, why would you do this to me? It's like unpacking unforgiveness is attacking the issue of pride, right? And the entitlement to feel like you're the only person. It's a spiritual warfare as well as like an emotional and mental warfare and experience that you're going through. It all started with just identifying that I felt abandoned by these people in my life and then unpacking what it looks like to forgive them if the apology never came mm -hmm. or if the apology came and I still didn't want to forgive them mm -hmm. and forgiving them for the consequences that they didn't have to suffer. Like they just moved on with their lives. And I'm still struggling with the fact that you abandoned me. So it's unpacking all of that, but starting with abandonment. Yeah. And that's so real. And <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I didn't mention this at the start, but there is another reason I was excited and maybe, maybe curious of what God was about to do about this episode. I was just a guest on another podcast called Bleeding Daylight. And it was an interesting experience. It was last Thursday we were recording. I've done many episodes of my own before. I've been episodes where I've, I've talked in front of people before. And I just could not communicate. Like I, I was saying words, but I felt a disconnect between what was coming out of my mouth, what I wanted to say, what was in my mind. And I knew the reason. The reason was I was dipping into sharing a story that's reminiscent of what you're sharing, a, a period of life where I felt really abandoned. I felt like things had been done to me and I felt misunderstood. I, I felt like on the back end of it, I, I pressed into forgiveness, but there was no apology. There was no recognition. There were people who moved on with their lives while I'm still dealing with wounds. And these relationships are ones that I'm still connected with. And I knew sharing this story, it's not like, you know, if I, I, I think about it sometimes, if I had experienced this in another state, in some corporate job and some entity that didn't have any heart attached to it, if it was just this thing, then I could share my experiences to others and they'd be able to hear me. Mm -hmm. But all of this happened in a ministry setting, in a church setting, in a neighborhood setting. And so here I am trying to share this story. And I'm like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can share it yet. I don't know if people will want to hear it. I don't know if people will receive it. Like I'm not having these thoughts necessarily overtly, but it's all there. And man, I struggled. That episode released really early this morning. And I was thinking about that and realizing, oh, <laughs> the conversation I'm having first thing in the morning is dealing with this very topic. Yeah. How... How do you press into that space where you get to realizing the importance of forgiveness, but you have to accept the reality that, like you said, it might not be reciprocal. <laughs> it yeah. might not be recognized. Things might not actually change on a functional level. Yeah, that's so good. It's so interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the words that I'm saying. Like, how much <laughs> do I want to reveal about my story? <laughs> I got ahead of sense. <laughs> I was very dodgy in mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Why press in? I think that was your question, right? Why press in? Because I realized, and it's so cliche, but it's true, that unforgiveness is less about the other person and more about you. So I think about my situation. There are two specific people that I just resented, to just put it plainly for a long time. 
And I realized these people have gone on with their lives and I'm still kind of coddling and nurturing this unforgiveness. And it's taken a toll on me physically. It's affected the quality of my life. It's made me cynical and suspicious of people who've done nothing to me. And it was important for my own freedom to press through for that. But then, because I also believe that we're placed on this earth for a reason, you know, I believe in purpose-driven work, another cliche term. But I believe that when we have these conversations, we start to give other people permission to start their unforgiveness journey. So I just remember in those six years sitting in rooms where people would kind of touch and then they'd go to something else. And there was a part of me that's like, oh man, I wish you would have just talked a little bit more of your experience because some of that resonates with me. So I realized when, I, when I'm having these conversations, I may help someone. Mm-hmm. So that if you're into holding this massive grudge, they don't have to go two years or three years, you know, and it, it's not that my story in and of itself is going to just free them miraculously, but it might start the journey for them. If that's all it does, then that's important work. So two reasons for myself and for anybody else who just has their life robbed. And I use the word robbed because I think that's what the devil does. I think that's what the enemy does. I think he robs us of so many good things because of relationships and hurt that comes from relationships. You know, I like what you just said there because it really got my mind thinking. You said first that our life was robbed, Mm -hmm. but then you followed it with the enemy robbed Mm -hmm. it, Satan robbed it. And I think that's so important because a lot of times we will attach that robbery to the person that wounded us. And it's really easy to do so when they actually do objectively hurtful things. That's one thing that I recognize really early on is the reality that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, (laughs) against the spiritual principalities. And what we see as a human issue, Mm -hmm. there is actually this enemy (laughs) that is putting things in place to junk stuff up. I think one of the ways that God gave me the gift of being able to recognize this is at the start of this really, really hard season, objectively wrong things had happened, Hmm. but God had given me some insight that the person that was doing those wrongs, he had allowed me to see the situation that they were in, things that they were working through. And more to the point, helped me to recognize like this person's not a villain. This person's not trying to be intentionally malicious to me. Now, are they doing things that are causing real issues? Yeah. But that insight helped me to recognize who the real enemy was. Yeah. Instead of my default, you're the enemy. It was the capital E enemy. And and this is so important because depending on who we think the enemy is, that's going to impact what we think needs to happen, how we're going to respond, who we fight against. And if we fight against the wrong enemy, we're not actually going to make anything better. We might make things worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I, um, I wrote an article a couple of years ago called church heart and I was so like, just overwhelmed with the response from it because I honestly, I wrote it to vet about my experience with believers who profess the same faith, said that they believed in the same God who did awful things, mm. right? But in the article, one of the things I said is I can't be too hard on them when I realize how many awful things I've done to people when I really pause and think about it because we don't like to think about how awful we've <laughs> we've been and even if it's not to other people just to god like in our relationship with god 
But I was oh, I was kind of surprised at the reaction, at the response, because so many people were saying, yes, I've been hurt as well. I've been hurt as well. And I thought to myself, this is exactly what the devil wants. Like, it doesn't matter how, quote unquote, simple the hurt was. Like, I found myself holding grudges about friends who unfollowed me on social media, mm-hmm. right? Or how massive it is, like an abuse type of situation. His job, he being the devil, his job is to come in, manipulate it, pervert it, cause it to just replay in your mind over and over and over and over again until you just feel completely just paralyzed. So there's the issue of the hurt, there's the issue of the person, and then there's the larger context of spiritual warfare and what the devil does to exploit hurt. And it's hard for us to isolate it because we're just emotional. And so everything is connected. I'll give you an example. I had a, someone unfollow me that I've been friends with for many, many years recently, but we've been kind of estranged. And I just thought to myself, like, why? And before you know it, Paul, I'd spent like three hours, like, could it be this? Could it be that? Could it be this? Could it be that? And then I realized it could have been an accidental unfollow. Maybe she's in a season where she wants privacy. It doesn't even matter at this point. All I know is it didn't warrant three hours of replay. And I think that's what the devil does. It's like these specific incidents and he just exploits. And it's spiritual warfare. He wants us to be confused and paralyzed and scared. And, you know, just he just wants us in these very fragile states. And we don't always realize that when we're looking at the person that hurt us. Yeah. Yeah. What we're talking about is we are living in a reality without realizing there is a greater reality at play. When we enter this world, the reality we understand is that we exist and we have to keep ourselves existing and we need to do well. We need to make sure we have money. We need to be respected, like all these things that make logical sense. And then there's this greater reality with this guy named Jesus who says crazy things like the first shall be last and says crazy things like you need to die to self and then lives it all out. He left heaven to come and take the form of a servant to the point of death. And I think about that often when I think about how I react in situations. And a big piece of this in terms of healing is we have to get better at asking the question of what is it we think needs to happen in order for us to be healed. In the situation that I was in with a hard work situation, I felt like the only way healing could happen, the only way that I could be happy and content is if my boss understood me in a certain way or Mm -hmm. these things that I had been accused of were corrected and everyone saw things accurately now, or, you know, the scope of my work adjusted to that. Like, right. I had this list of things that not even now that I want to happen that I feel like have to happen in order for me to keep on going, especially when things got really hard, when I got to the most hopeless points, I could not see a way forward unless certain things happened. And I had been praying for these things for years. So either God didn't exist, which I had already taken that one off the table. God didn't love me, which I knew that wasn't true. Or God knew something that I didn't know. Put another way, God knew that while I was saying, I need these things to happen. He's like, no, you don't. You don't need any of those things to happen. In fact, I'm going to bring healing without those things happening. So when we're pinning our hurts on people and without recognizing the enemy, then 
are healing, we will attach those to people too. So unless this person acknowledges they're wrong, unless this person changes what they're doing, unless this person makes it right, I cannot heal. Yeah. Whereas yeah. there's a God who's like, oh no, all of those things could actually get worse okay. and I can bring restoration to your heart. The key is, are you looking to them or are you looking to me? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is where it talks about, you know, you meant it for evil, but God has turned it around for my good. And I feel like that's what the hurt experience has been for me. It's like, I focus a lot on the evil, hence years of my life being just stuck. It's not like God intends to harm us, but when we release those things to him, he is able to turn it around. One of the exercises that I did was I wrote a letter to one of the people that hurt me and I never sent it to them that says, even if you don't apologize, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was this intentional awareness that you might never do it. And I, you know, there are various reasons why people will never apologize. One, their pride and they don't realize, you know, the, the magnitude of the hurt they cause. They're distracted, whatever. They don't care. It doesn't even matter at that point. It's not my issue. My issue is that I'm not attached to your movement. And one of the things that kind of brought this home for me was I remember having a conversation with someone who had been in an abusive situation and the person that abused them passed. You know, and that was one of the realizations that we were having in this conversation was, well, you can't bring them back to life. So if they never made it right, if they never apologize, which they don't have the opportunity to, what does the rest of your life look like? So for me, that's what started it. It's like, you you might not, and, and you don't owe me that. I do know this, that because I'm a child of God, God has a way of vindicating his own. Like he has a way of redeeming his own, right? And he has a way of holding people accountable. And as believers, it's not that we're hoping <laughs> for God's vengeance to strike you because you hurt us. But what it does do is that it gives me peace that I don't have to seek retribution to start my process. And I don't have to seek reconciliation to start my process, but I owe it to myself. I owe it to God to start the journey so that I can be fully me. Like I need to be fully me. For me, when it started, I remember in our conversation prior to this, or well, I think I mentioned about how for me, the emotional piece was attached to my physical health. Mm -hmm. And I just remember Paul sitting on my couch and not being able to move. Mm -hmm. Like I gained all this weight. Like there was a season when I wouldn't go outside, Paul, because I was so distraught and I didn't want to deal with people. Yeah. So in my apartment complex at the time, I would only go outside at night to get some air and to just, you know, just be outside at night because I knew I wouldn't have to deal with people. Mm. And that's when I realized there is something seriously wrong here. And I'm waiting for this person to set me free. And I could wait another few years, right? In the meantime, I'm gaining weight. Diabetes runs on the, my mother's side of my family, right? And so I'm putting myself in harm's way like for this prolonged period of time all because i'm waiting for this apology that would not come and so you know all of these things god just kind of aligned it the conversation with that person some scripture some messages i was hearing at the time at church and all these other places where god was repeating to me free yourself free yourself free yourself because the apology may never come and to this day the apology has not come mm -hmm. And it's okay. 
<laughs> like, it's okay. I just know that physically I'm in a better position emotionally and, and definitely spiritually I'm in a better position. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I resonate with that. I, it was reminding me of in the midst of the hardest part of that long season, there was a point where I never felt this before, but I was like, I might actually, I might actually die. And the reason was my father passed away when I was five. Uh, he had a heart attack and I think he had had some stress in work. There were some other things going on, but he, he had a heart attack. So for the first few decades of my life, I didn't know if I should worry about my heart or not. And there's no way to find out, right? Unless you're willing to drop some money on getting some tests done. And I get to this particularly hard point in this, in this hard, hard journey where I'm starting to feel like not necessarily pain in my heart, but like a, a pressure in that area that's like, starting to concern me and my wife's starting to get concerned. My mom's starting to get concerned. My mom, especially because my father passed away around the same age that I was at that time. And they were transitioning into a new home. And I was about to transition into a new home, going through the process of renovating, moving. And so our stories were aligning around mm -hmm. the same age, similar situations, about to move into a new home. And I'm like, this might actually kill me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, and I just realized the physical effect that it has on you. It makes it a little more real when you realize this isn't just a mental exercise. If I don't step back and reshape my perspective, this could have tremendous ramifications. So this is important. It's that perspective piece. Like we tapped into it earlier, but as you were talking, it made me think of another way of looking at this. You know, we mentioned that it's easy for us to vilify people without vilifying the actual villain of the story. But the other piece of this is when we think about forgiveness, we see it as a transaction between people because functionally that's what it is, right? This person wronged me, whether or not they apologize, like I have the option to choose to forgive them. And that is understandably hard for people because of reasons we mentioned, like this person might not acknowledge what they did or they might not apologize. And so there's a hurt that comes from that. Yeah. For other people, forgiveness is hard because maybe it's a situation that they're remaining in. So if mm -hmm. I forgive this person, am I essentially giving them permission to hurt me again and again yeah. and again? And so forgiveness is a hard, hard topic to navigate. But the thought that hit me as you were talking is, while we treat it as a transaction between people, what you and I are talking about is actually a transaction between us and God. Because you've mentioned it several times, your decision to forgive wasn't actually contingent on the other person. You mentioned a story where the person that was going to receive the forgiveness was no longer living, right? So this isn't actually a person-to-person -person transaction. It's a transaction we make between us and God concerning yeah. that person. One of the greatest examples of that in scripture is Jesus on the cross, mm. where he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't saying to them, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. He wasn't forgiving them because they hadn't done anything wrong. They might not have understood the depth of what they were doing, but they knew they were crucifying an innocent man. They knew they were auctioning off his clothes and they knew they were heckling him and laughing. He was forgiving people that had done objectively wrong and hurtful things. But when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do, yeah. He knew that it was a transaction between he and God. He knew what God was inviting him to release because at the end of the day, that's what forgiveness is. It's another form of death to self. 
Yeah. Because you deserve an apology. You deserve for things to be made right. And in forgiving, you're saying, I am foregoing this right. I'm dying to what I deserve because I believe that God is working on something abundantly more. Yeah. And I think about that too. The final prayer that Jesus prays for us, right, before he dies on the cross, talked about how gracious the Father should be with us, right? And he acknowledged in that prayer our humanity and our carnality and the fact that we are not perfect, but that because of what he's doing, we are to move about the earth, like we're to do greater things, right? But that God should be gracious with us. And I always love that because Christ is the ultimate role model and how he modeled forgiveness. For me, one of the things that stands out to me is how he models forgiveness as a process, right? Like it's ongoing, the tenses that he used, it's an ongoing thing. Part of what kept me and what I've observed keeps others sometimes hostage is this idea that once I say the words, I forgive you, then I'm to be magically free. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not quite how it works. So even when Christ intercedes for us in that prayer and he, and we know he's interceding right now, even on our behalf, it's like this ongoing state of father, renew them, new mercies every day. So forgiveness is a process. Living is a process. Like it's not going to be transactional. Some people are not going to want your apology. Some people are not ready to say an apology and that's okay. Stage by stage, period by period. Do with what you're giving. For me, that was that was freedom. Like that was freedom to just know that I wasn't expected to just come to this awareness and then overnight just release the person and be my best self. There are some days where I still feel like they're triggers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're triggers. <laughs> and I just, I meet people and they they remind me of that. Even in ministry where you're supposed to feel safe, right? And the people that hurt you are believers and you can't be your fully authentic and transparent self because what if somebody uses your vulnerability and exploits it just like the, the last person? And that's when you realize perhaps the work of forgiveness is done, but the healing hasn't, is not done, you know, and it's an ongoing process. And I think we see that in the words that Christ uses when he refers to us in our relationship with the father. But I also see that just in our daily living, like it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not transactional. Um, I think if things were transactional, even our walk with God, like it's not transactional. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. Like we can't give an equal proportion to what God gives us. Like it just doesn't work that way. And I think our relationship with people, again, for various reasons are not, they cannot be transactional. It's nearly impossible mm-hmm. to say that things could be fair and equally transactional all the time would be to say that we're all at the same spiritual level, all at the same emotional maturity level. And it's just not that way. It's just not the reality. And we do ourselves a disservice when we kind of preach that message. Mm -hmm. And certainly when we expect that to be like everybody's experience, it just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about healing being progressive, uh, one, I really appreciate you naming that because I was going to bring us into that too. Mm -hmm. As you were telling you, this is the reality that so often we will talk about forgiveness like it is that one and none, it's everything's fixed and everything's great now. And nobody, very few people have actually experienced that, I think, especially with hard situations. But as you were talking about how it is a journey, how it is progressive, how how it can take time, it made me think that part of the reason for that is maybe we don't actually realize what it is God is healing. Mm. Whereas when we forgive someone, 
we might be looking for healing from our hurt feelings about what this person said to us or what it did to us. And those can be very real and very deep. You know, you started this conversation talking about the impact of pride, right? And sometimes there may be a situation where God invites us into the step of dying to self and forgiving. And then we're waiting for the healing that we are looking for. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to heal that bitterness, or I'm trying to heal that pride. It's not even because of that person that you have that in you. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that interaction just kind of brought to the surface something that already existed in you that I've been working on and I'm continuing to work on. And healing is happening, but maybe we're still holding on to pieces. Yeah. Maybe there's, maybe we've released bitterness with this specific person, but there's a part of us that still gets really mad when somebody looks at us the wrong way or refers to us incorrectly. God can be working on a deeper healing while we're focused on this one interaction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, man, I just, I keep saying that's so good. I feel like I'm in church because it's so good (laughs) for me. Right. So I was, I remember being in a relationship and being engaged to a man and I thought we were going to get married. And I remember that relationship just ending in disaster. It was just terrible. And I remember pointing the finger at him and just saying, you did this. I needed you. My most vulnerable time, I needed you. And because it happened during a season where there was already so much going on with me, it just felt like the issues were just compounded. After I processed all of that, one of the things that God revealed to me was anytime you point the blame at someone exclusively in conflict, you have to address an issue of pride. Because it's absolutely impossible. You know, they say there are three sides to every story, your side, the other person's side, and then the actual truth. Mm -hmm. So it's never actually 100% true that it's always the other person's fault. And so for me, God used that episode in my life to kind of start the unveiling of other issues and why that hurt me so much and all the other conflicts that I did not take responsibility for. And then it started me on this journey of asking myself, well, how many people do I owe an apology? And I just was dismissive of our conflict and never really thought about it. But it's true. It's us as well. It's the trigger that God says, listen, you've been in a cycle of, in my case, breakups, romantic breakups that always look this way, right? There's a commonality here, right? Or you've been in these types of series of business relationships that always ended this way. What's the commonality here? We're trained and we're wired, and it's part of our defense mechanism to protect ourselves, right? But in the protecting ourselves, like we never explore ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was a very specific instance where the Lord said, listen, your hurt is legitimate, right? Like the Lord never just chastises us and leaves it at that. Like he always just frames it with grace. Um, And so he says, you know, the the hurt is legitimate. And now we we work through that hurt, but part of this healing is truth. And so realize what the commonality is here, unless you just want to keep going through the same types of cycles. And so when it came to relationships with family members that had hurt me immensely, with clergy that had hurt me and my family immensely, that became a very uncomfortable question was, is there a role that we played in this? 
if there was absolutely no chance that we played a role in this, which is never the case, there's always something, right? Um, um, even if it's just like kind of an implicit thing that we do, but there's always something that we can take responsibility for. Um, but what does that look like? And how do I repent for it if repentance is needed? And how do I heal so that I can become whole and not have to repeat those cycles again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask a question around how we continue that journey. And, and what I'm thinking specifically is, as I worked through you know, my hard season, there's a really great story, and I won't get into the weeds now, but there's a series of things that God did that allowed me to function in a state of forgiveness in a way that was far beyond my capacity. Like I had specific moments where I knew how I was going to respond. And then God said, don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was this period of time where I was not only operating in a like a supernatural state of forgiveness, but really amazing things were happening. I mean, it was it all happened in the course of the month when God gave me a heads up. I was going to lose my job, which was not something I expected. And I lost my job. And that following month was actually a really great month. It should have mm -hmm. been a horrendous month. And it was because of what God had done there. So I'm, I'm having this great month. I'm seeing God work through me. I'm seeing God work on me. I'm feeling great. And then two months later, I find myself feeling deep hurt and deep anger, not because anything new happened, but because of those triggers, because of those memories. And I'm sitting here thinking, did I not actually forgive them? I, I thought I had forgive them or was that not enough God? Or is there something wrong with me? Like what is, what is happening? It was a really hard moment that God was very gracious and walking me through. And I think one of the things that he was revealing is what you and I have mentioned that these aren't quick fix things. Yeah. And that sometimes God is working on something deeper because he's working on abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So this hard month was actually, actually, I'm looking at the date. It could be to the day three years ago when I had this moment of why am I feeling so awful? I thought I had sought God and I thought God had worked. Yeah. And since that, in the three years since, I have had so, I, I, I felt it when you said triggers. I've had so many, mm -hmm. so many moments where a singular word mm -hmm. or a singular situation or something spurs a memory like I had a lot of wounds around the type of feedback that was given to me and how it was given. And I just had a lot of wounds around feedback. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I even feel it triggered when I record and then post a podcast and I'm kind of holding my breath or I send an email and I'm holding my breath. And I feel like God's revealing to me, one, that journey piece, but two, that this whole thing yeah. is about seeking God first, or at least it's meant to be. And that's the invitation that God keeps patiently putting out there is this situation is real. Are you seeking me even in the midst of this? So from your experience, you've taken the hard journey to get to the point where you recognize you need to forgive. You are willing to forgive. You do it in whatever form it takes, whether it's internal, external, or a letter. And then life continues and those triggers are still there. How do you personally navigate that yeah. it's hard and as you're talking i find myself getting a little emotional because even this conversation is a sort of a trigger mm. because there's some recollection here as we're having this conversation and i've kind of talked around some of the, the circumstances but i'll tell you two very specific things that happened in that season happened 
there were maybe four different things that happened in one time within weeks of each other. One of them was my grandmother passed away. Mm. And my family immigrated from Sierra Leone, West Africa. We came during the height of a civil war. And part of the plan when we came here was that our family would work hard and, you know, kind of pull ourselves up. And our grandmother, my grandmother deviated from that plan. She met a man in America and decided to start a whole new life and forgot her family, mm. right? In that season, my grandmother passed away, mm. right? And we never had the tough conversations about how her deviation from the plan affected our family, affected childcare and my parents' ability to work and all these other things. And then another thing that happened is that I had a family member tell us that they had been sexually abused by a clergy member at our church. And this was a church that my family went to for 20 years. And so when we talk about healing, I never want to minimize it and say like, this is the formula, because I think it's so subjective. The process is so subjective and there's so much context that needs to be considered when we talk about how does that process start and what does it look like? Despite the variations and what it looks like, I will say this, the objective truths are people are flawed, right? Humans are flawed, including us. God offers forgiveness to us as the model for how we are to live our relationships. God is gracious in meeting us where our abilities stop. So there were times when I found myself on the couch, unable to move, but saying, Lord, help me. And all I did for that day was utter that prayer as far as my journey was concerned. And I found that as I prayed this prayer more, some days I was stronger than other days. (laughs) And as I found myself being intentional about this process and saying, I'm going to fight for this as much as I fought for other things in my life, God met me at my point of need. So when I wanted to spew hate on social media. When I wanted to talk bad about that church, the Holy Spirit, as he was dealing with me and maturing me in relationship with him, would say, don't do that, you know? And he would assure me that there's justice that's coming, there's vindication that's coming. And all of that has happened. And it doesn't diminish the hurt because what was done was done. In the case of my grandmother, she's gone. We never had those conversations, right? I've seen the way it's impacted my mother. I've seen the way it's impacted my parents' marriage. I've seen all these other things that have resulted from that hurt, but the journey looks different. And what I can tell anybody who's starting their own journey is be aware of how God is dealing with you, what he's trying to tell you and what he's trying to uncover. For us, years of just familial things that were never dealt with. And he used that pain point with my grandmother for us to have very, very tough conversations, even after her passing. Mm -hmm. So good things can come out of it, but take it one day at a time, like one step at a time. Some days you're physically weak (laughs) Mm -hmm. because of the pain. Some days you're just emotionally frustrated. One good thing that came out of this season for my life is that it drew me closer to God. Like I've never experienced intimacy with God the way that I did as the Lord was showing me I was in a healing season, not even the intimacy I felt when I first got saved. And everybody knows when you first get saved, you are a zealot, like you're just at the height of like your spiritual experience. But my intimacy with God was just so different. I remember like sitting in the corner of a room and just like curled up like a baby and just crying. 
and just being aware that the scripture talks about when you don't have the words, the Holy Spirit is interceding with moans and groans that we do not understand. And just sitting in the corner of my room bawling, but being aware that that was a prayer. Mm-hmm. And so one good thing that came out was just my intimacy with God and this awareness that I can listen to as many gurus as I wanted, but my situation was different. And I had to be close enough and discerning enough to know how the Lord was going to deal with me. Yeah. So he gave me different resources. I joined a support group for one of the issues that I was going through at the time. But he met me at my point of need. And I think that's the biggest thing we have to remember about who God is, is that he's flexible. He'll meet us at our point of need, whatever it is. If you're not getting it through scripture because you can't even open the word of God because it's so painful, that's okay. Like he's bigger than Genesis to Revelations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he can use nature, he can use scripture, he can use songs, but he's responsive. And so if your healing journey doesn't quite look like the next person, it's okay. Yeah. Like God could still be at work. Yeah. I'm hoping that those who are listening to this, if anybody is, is struggling right now, that they're finding encouragement in kind of the release from the expectation of fixing things. And I think one of the biggest pieces of that beyond just, you know, what we talked about that this isn't about suddenly you feel better and now all the wounds are healed and everything is good. But, you know, what you just shared, there's an important piece that I keep hearing come up in these types of stories. And it's that, you know, you said, you know, the one good thing is that your relationship with God deepened or you came to know God in a deeper way. And I had a conversation with someone named Darcy who had experienced this unexpected disability that put her in a wheelchair, God miraculously healed her. 20 years later, she found herself back in the wheelchair and God did not heal her this time. And it was a very hard period for the first bit of like, what in the world, God? But one of the things she shared, and this is actually after I stopped recording, she shared that in the suffering is where she experiences God the most and she doesn't want to lose that. And in other words, it's almost like she's saying, she's willingly accepting suffering because she knows that that is where she is finding God the most. And that is a very counterintuitive way of thinking and talking from a worldly standpoint. Accepting suffering is just not smart on a human level. But what she recognizes that the actual goal, the best thing that could ever happen is to know God and to be close with him. And so if this is the way there, then let's go. You know, in everything that we've been sharing, that deeper goal is kind of just floating right there and we miss it in the moments. But God is always extending this invitation for us to know him more deeply, to be drawn closer to him. I mean, he is always there with the open hands for it. And as we go through life, if we are willing to seek him, then more and more we will begin to break mindsets that have kept us from seeing that let go of things that have kept us from reaching out to him because as long as we got stuff in our hands we're not open-handed to god yeah and god just graciously lovingly understandably walks us through all these things that in the moment seem unjust unfair cruel but god is god and god is good and this is the piece this is this is where it's all coming to for me that you and I aren't trying to craft together a 10-step approach to healing, a 10-step approach to forgiveness, because what we have experienced is 
there are some foundational truths that we should hold on to. There are some things that we can practice, but it is not clear or clean cut is what we would want it to be. And the biggest reason is, is because the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. If we actually want to step towards this, we are going to have to have moments of stepping into spaces that we can't see where our foot's going to land. We can't know for sure that God is actually going to be there to catch us, but we're stepping because we are choosing to believe in something impossible, incomprehensible. And that is the actual step to healing because now we are stepping away from our human understanding and towards God, knowing it could cost us everything. And when we do that, we find something abundantly more than we could have ever asked or imagined. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, right? Like that, that is it. God, he pursues us so aggressively. There's a saying that goes, you don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. And I, you know, (laughs) it sounds so insensitive to say when you're in pain or when you're dealing with hurt, but it's the truth. It's like when you realize other people don't understand it, I can't quite express half of how I'm feeling sometimes is then you realize how intimate our relationship with God could be, right? Like when you're Mm -hmm. crying out at three o'clock in the morning um, or you're taking a walk at 10 o'clock at night (laughs) and there's Uh nobody around you realize I can still pray to God and he hears me just as loudly Mm -hmm. as he does at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning in church. Like there's something about pain that draws us to him and causes us to be fully dependent on him. And that is the one thing that I will not take away. I will not take away from pain. It's like coming to this understanding that God doesn't cause pain, but he uses pain. And it's something that we see over and over and over again in scripture, where people go through these unimaginable situations, but then God finds a way to kind of talk them through it. I remember one of my favorite passages is in Genesis where uh, God is talking to Abraham about the promise. And I remember God takes Abraham outside and he tells him, you know, as many as the stars are in the sky, that's how many descendants you will have. When I first read the scripture as a teenager, I remember imagining God literally holding his hand and just saying, you know, I know this has been painful for your family, infertility, I know it's been hard, Sarah's getting teased, et cetera, et cetera. But just being so intimate that he would like hold Abraham's hand is what I envisioned in my mind. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the depth of pain, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like I could literally see God. I could feel God being like, daughter, it's okay. You can't see it now. Mm-hmm. You can't see how this will be used for ministry in the future. There were days, Paul, where I couldn't even picture myself free. Mm. I couldn't picture what that looks like because I've been so accustomed, like I've become a, a shell of who I was. And I remember just God being like one step at a time, being very, very patient. And that's when my prayer life deepened, my general, my overall walk with the Lord deepened. And I remember being very specific in the way that I described God. Someone once told me, it seems like you're just so close to God, you know, and I thought to myself, part of the reason is because in pain, you learn these adjectives of God that are not common. You know what I mean? Like you learn that he is a peacemaker. You learn that he does vindicate that he is, you know, more than the Sunday school Bible study God. Like you learn that he's 
intimate. You learn that he's quick, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he's feeding it. And so, yeah, pain does that. Pain does that. It, it deepens our relationship with God. It causes us to see with eyes if we want to, because sometimes we don't, we don't allow that intimacy to be stirred, but it does. It awakens something. For me, it awakens something. And I've seen it with other people where it awakens something in them that wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, it reminds me of a moment I had similar to what you shared where I was sitting on the closet floor and like, man, it takes a lot to get me to cry. I was weeping like loud bawling because I felt utterly, utterly hopeless. Mm. And I had been praying to God for years to fix the things and to do the things and to free me from the things to just let me go. Like he wouldn't let me leave the situation. I was like, God, I want to go. He's like, I need you to stay. And so I'm like, I knew he was attached to all this, but so I, I, I'd gotten to a place where I loved him and I trusted him, but I was hurting more deeply than I had ever known. And I'm on the floor and I'm weeping and I'm like, God, I'm just, I'm, I'm hopeless. I don't, I don't, I didn't say I'm hopeless, but I felt it, but I'm like, God, I, there's just nothing I can do. I've tried, I've tried everything. There is nothing I can do. And I felt like God just quietly sat there and said, so maybe you'll stop trying to do things and trust me. And I'm like, ah, burn. Like, cause that's the thing is like, as much as I believed that I trusted God and I did as much as I was seeking him. And I was, I was also still operating in my own understanding. Yeah. And God was so patient because he's not going to force us. He could have forced me to obey him and trust him. He didn't because he was doing something bigger. Mm -hmm. And so he was very patient until I got to the point in the hardest moment of recognizing my limitations. And then God saying, all right, well, I've been here. And so it makes me think that how we define if God is good and powerful is if he fixes things. But these moments get us to a place where we begin more and more to define God's goodness and power based on his existence and his presence. Yes. These conversations are hard for me because I want to keep going, but, <laughs> but we've got to stop at some point. And so, you know, before we go, any final thoughts or words, anything in your heart that you're like, this has to come out? There, there's so many things, right? You just said something so good, which is that even if God doesn't fix it, who he is is still worthy of praise. One of the things that kind of kept me through my season was even when I can't see the hand of God, I can trust the heart of God. So he may not fix things the way that I want it, but he will fix it, right? Like he will fix it, whether that's drawing me closer to the relationship with him, whether that's bringing others to an awareness of who he is through my testimony, like he will, he will somehow fix it so that it brings him glory. And so that process was liberating for me, just knowing that God's heart cared for me. He did not delight in my pain, did not delight in the trauma. And once I got to a place, I didn't want to accept this at first, but realizing that God cared as much about the person that hurt me as he does about me, right? Like the nature of God is just so, so good. And going back to the earlier point, which is that the enemy wants us to not see that. Like he does not mm -hmm. want us to see the nature of God. For those of us who have gone through, which is everyone <laughs> who has gone through any amount of hurt, like it hurts. It's legitimate. Like we're not superhumans, right? And God will never call us to a place where we're minimalizing that or we're in denial about that hurt. But the greater lesson is, God, how can you turn this hurt around? 
um, for your glory and for our good. And I think that's a consistent theme. And I'll end with this. Two scriptures that the Lord gave me in that season was Isaiah 54 and 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10s, after you struggled for a little bit, God himself will restore, confirm, make you strong. And I held on to that verse as a promise from God that whether in this life or the life to come, God will vindicate and he will reestablish. Like he will establish strength in your life. He will turn the story around. And then Isaiah 54 talks about how you were the woman who was deserted in her youth, you know, and you went through all of these things, but God is doing a new thing in larger territory. And what those scriptures did for me was it just kind of stirred hope. And I think for anybody going through their healing journey, hope, hang on to hope. It's easy to believe the noise that it will always be this way. The other person is the most evil person in the world. And they might be, <laughs> depending on what they did, they might be. But no amount of their evil will trump God's goodness concerning you. Mm. Um, and whatever he said concerning you, whatever good things he said concerning you, as you seek him, you will see that word come alive in your life. I really, really do believe that. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the Let's be really honest here. Forgiveness, in a lot of ways, is a really unjust thing. When God calls us to forgive, he is inviting us to release our rights to certain things, like amends being made, like apologies being given, like things being made right. Forgiveness ends up being a way for us to live into Jesus' call to die to self. And it is not easy, and it is often not fun, and it costs us a lot. But it all comes as an invitation from the one who is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And one of the biggest reasons it's so hard for us to begin the process of stepping into what forgiveness means is because it doesn't make sense to us. And when something doesn't make sense to us, and when we assume we understand things, we usually can't bridge that gap easily. As I was praying about how to close this out, I was reminded of a situation that my son was in. For some reason, he became incredibly afraid of bees and wasps. Didn't matter what type it was. If it flew and had a stinger, that was it for him. It got so bad that on some really beautiful days, he would refuse to go outside. On days where he had the opportunity to go and stay at his grandparents, who live out in the country, he wouldn't go because of the fear of what bees could live there as well. When we would be going outside to do something fun and he was excited to do it, the moment he saw a bee, he would run back in. He had a deep fear of bees that kept him from enjoying some of the most beautiful days, some of the most exciting experiences. And try as we could, we could not convince him otherwise. And part of the reason is, is because there was some truth to his fear. One of the questions he would ask is, is that bee going to sting me? And that's a fair question to ask for a bee or a wasp. As parents, we know that unless he goes and messes with it, it's most likely not going to. And so we would tell him, no, it's not going to sting you. And then his next question is, but does it have a stinger? And here's the problem, is even the tamest of bees and wasps have stingers. 
And so the truth is, my son had some pretty sound logic. In other words, he could be thinking, okay, my parents are saying that it's not going to sting me, but it still has a stinger, which means it is still capable of stinging me. And we would try to come back with our own logic and say, well, you have teeth. Are you going to bite me? But even that wasn't good enough for him. The fact was that he could get stung. And the truth is, is I knew he could get stung too. Even if I knew it wasn't likely, I knew he could. And the other thing is this. I know that a bee sting is a light and momentary trouble. It hurts <laughs> like, like nobody's business when it happens, but it fades. So I knew even if he did get stung, what he was giving up was so much more than the brief pain that he would feel. We have moments in life that hit like a bee sting that hurt so much, that can be so unexpected or so unjust. And in the moments, we can respond like my son. We don't want to get stung again, or we don't want to get stung in the first place, or we don't want to run the risk of getting stung. So when we see the threat, we're going to keep our distance no matter what it costs us, no matter what we miss out on. And then there's a good father who knows that the stings that we're avoiding, when compared to eternity, are light and momentary troubles. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 puts it this way, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In our minds, we, we can't comprehend that. It does not feel light and it does not feel momentary. But God knows a lot of things that we don't know. And because God has an eternal mindset, he knows that whatever happens to us on this earth is going to pass away. The stories that I've been tapping into on this podcast Sometimes I still feel the remnants of those wounds, but it definitely doesn't hit and definitely doesn't hurt in the same way it did in the moment. And on this end of it, I'm able to recognize that what I thought felt excruciating and never ending, God knew was limited and would end. Part of the healing I feel like God's inviting us into is the healing of our minds, is the healing of our misconceptions, is the healing of our broken understanding. Andrina was able to experience that healing. She had some real things happen to her, but what she began to learn is what was wounding her most was her own mind, was her own unforgiveness. And when she allowed God to work on that part of her, she experienced healing even when the exterior things didn't get fixed. God is a God of healing, but sometimes we don't know what it is that he is trying to heal, and we don't trust his methods for getting there. He is God, he is good, he is wise, and he is loving. And he knows that whatever trouble we experience now, he has a full life he is working us towards. Are we willing to trust him? And are we willing to demonstrate that trust by taking some simple steps of forgiving? Forgiving others, forgiving ourselves. I encourage you to pray into taking those steps. And as you do, ask yourself, where did you see God?
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?